You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. After what was obviously quite the brutal, uh, <laughs> brutal, I guess, I mean, there are a lot of ways to describe that loss, but the Jets obviously fell to the 0-11 Cincinnati Bengals. And, of course, you would have heard by now because it was, it was, um, they flashed the graphic up during the game, and it's been a hot topic of conversation since then. This gives the New York Jets the dubious distinction of being the only team in the history of the NFL. Think about that for a second. Think about think about it as a, if if you're one of those longtime Jet fans, one of those one of those folks that have been around a while. Um, this is another thing we can chalk up as as an embarrassment that no team has ever suffered before. No fan base. Um, the Jets went winless against a pair of teams that were 0-7 or worse, with that first one, of course, being the Miami Dolphins. And then this week, falling to the Bengals, first team in NFL history to lose a pair of games to a team that is 0-7 or worse. I mean, this, this, uh, this Christopher Johnson guarantee that Adam Gase would be back next season didn't, didn't look quite so bad when the Jets looked like a functional organization. For a few weeks, I mean, for people that were sort of on the Adam Gase bandwagon and thought that the uh, the three-game win streak, you know, proved that he he deserved to stay, um, I don't know. I can only speak for myself. I was I was glad the team was turning things around. I wasn't quite in a position where I thought uh, this was a situation where Adam Gase had proven that he was the right guy for this job, and now we're seeing. Chris, Chris Johnson must be just beside himself at this point, honestly. And we're going to have Manish Maid of the New York Daily News on shortly, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. We're going to talk a little bit about Adam Gase. We're going to talk a bit about the way Sam Darnold played today, uh, this weekend. Talk some injuries because, as you know, there are some uh, some big names on the injury report, big names added to IR. And it's just, I mean, the, the injury report at this point, folks, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, it's about 16 names long. I mean, that's a that's a lot. That's ridiculous. 16 guys right now who are either limited or unable to practice. A couple guys on there on there that did practice. Of the 16, I believe three players were able to practice. And this is listen, this is. Injuries are a thing that you kind of you figure every team has them. You got to deal with them. You got to battle through it. You can't put it on any one person. Um, but when you look at the number of injuries the Dolphins had when Adam Gase was there, and now the number of injuries they've got here, uh, maybe it is just a wild coincidence that it's it's popped up again. But maybe there's something 
Adam Gase asks of his staff that's leading to just a ton of injuries. So right now, let's let's go over that here before we uh before Manish joins us. And actually before Manish joins us, also wanted to take the time to take our to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. Miles Social, M I L E Social dot com for all of your social media needs. If you're running a business and you've got too many hats to wear and you need someone to take on all of your social media platforms, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook page, your whatever whatever platform you prefer, any and all will be included for Mile Social to manage those for you, hopefully getting more customers through your door and more cash in your pocket. Again, that's Mile Social, M-I-L-E Social dot com. So this is what the Jets injury report is looking like. This uh this this mash unit at the moment. Jamal Adams suffered a an injury during this game that is that has him week to week. He's got an ankle injury. He left the game in a walking boot or left the stadium in a walking boot. I believe it was the left ankle. Jamal Adams ankle injury did not practice. Then you have Maurice Kennedy, who we were going to talk a little bit about today, he didn't do a bad job. He got himself some reps because of Brian Poole's situation, and he actually looked he looked pretty solid. Kind of viewed him as a guy that is he someone that can get an extended look over the next few days, and uh, he's got a quad injury, so that's a no there. Chuma Doga, who missed the game last week, still dealing with the knee injury, he did not practice. So that's Adams, Kennedy, Adoga did not practice. Neither did safety Matthias Farley. Tight end Ryan Griffin. Griffin listed as an illness. So he wasn't feeling good. Hopefully that's something he'll get over in the next few days. Arthur Mollette, who had probably his his worst performance thus far of the season against the Bengals. We did, of course, list him as a, a player to watch leading, heading into the game or one of the matchups to keep an eye on. And listen, the Jets were facing an 0-11 team, but a couple of receivers on the Bengals that are not, you know, putting up pretty decent numbers considering the fact they've they've spent a chunk of the season with rookie quarterback Ryan Finley, who has not been all that great, to be honest. So I think getting Andy Dalton back in there was going to give some of their receivers a chance to make some plays that they haven't in recent weeks. That made Mullet and Bless Austin a bigger deal were more important than they've been in recent weeks. And Mollette got eaten up and ended up leaving the game with a calf injury that is still bothering him. He did not practice. Steve McClendon, Mr. Reliable, did not practice. Brian Poole, as I mentioned, left the game with a concussion, did not practice. Then there's there's Paul Warlow, who's a guy you kind of feel like, what, what's the plan with this guy? Because if there's not a plan beyond this season, um, you could probably just IR or release Warlow because team's going nowhere. He can't get on the field, and he's using up a roster spot. But Warlow, Warlow did practice, though. He was limited. Kevin Beecham, he'll probably be on the injury report for the remainder of the season. He's got another ankle. So between him being missing time last week or the last couple weeks with one ankle – that he dinged up the other one the previous week, and now he'll probably battle that on and off through the rest of the year. 
left guard Alex Lewis was limited. Same with Beecham. Beecham, Lewis, Warlow, all limited. Alex Lewis limited. Demarius Thomas, also on the injury report, this time with a hamstring. Of course, he came over from the Patriots after they let him go, and the Jets snagged him. He had some soft tissue stuff earlier in the season. And then full go, guys who were able to practice. Sam Donald, of course, who had a little bit of a knee. Jamison Crowder. And then last but not least, David Fales, backup quarterback. Not sure what he did. Uh, right elbow. Right elbow injury. So we got 16 names dotting the injury report. And some pretty uh, some pretty big ones, some pretty key ones. So where do the Jets go from here? I mean, if you're if you're Chris Johnson, as I mentioned earlier, you've got to be really reeling from this one because, well, I say that you would expect him to be, but his his promise of another year for Gase kind of makes you wonder just how these losses are impacting him. Are they as big of a deal in his mind as they are in the mind of the fans? So the Jets got out to an early lead in this one. But let's face it, it it could have been a could have been a little bit bigger lead. The Jets on their opening drive managed to march down and, and kick a field goal, sixth straight game they scored on the opening drive. It's about it's about one of the only things that went right. And the Jets ended up uh, going 51 yards, kicking a field goal. But there were some big drops. Braxton Berrios had a huge one. Robbie Anderson had a big one that really cost the Jets a touchdown on an opening drive. So Donald was victimized a little bit early on from his receivers. Of course, that just, uh, you know, w- w- when the dust settles, it feels like maybe that wasn't all that big of a deal because it was another game that saw the Jets' offense look I mean, look damn good. Let's face it. By the way, we will be hearing from uh, Alex who will be joining us shortly. That's why I haven't introed him yet. And then Manish Mehta is due to call in at some time during the uh, first half of the show. So hang with us here. So the Jets, the Jets march down the field, kick a field goal, and then that, that's pretty much it, really, for the rest of the day. They never really put another drive together that came close to uh that came close to replicating their first drive. As a matter of fact, well I do take that back. That of course they, their second drive was just under seventy yards. So they had a fifty yard drive and a and a sixty nine yard drive. That was it. That was it. They had a, a a decent drive on their second to last drive of the game when the Bengals were just kinda of sitting back, letting them do what they wanted. And I mean this was an ugly one. This was nobody expected this. Well, I should nobody. Nobody was predicting this loss. You know, looking looking at the the prognosticators, the mainstream folks. Everyone had the Jets winning this game. I had them winning this game, which is rare for me this season. I did the the only the only way I and I I think I said this in my game preview. The only the only way I could see the Jets losing this game was if Andy Dalton came out and just kind of wanted to you know prove prove to the world that he wasn't the reason why the Bengals are terrible. Listen, Andy Dalton's by no means a great quarterback. However, he's a solid multiple-time All-Pro who's got a little bit of pride and came out there letting it rip. And we heard a lot throughout the week 
that the Jets didn't get enough pressure on Dalton, which is true. That being said, there was an awful lot of uh, just snap to throw was, was just, you know, under two seconds quite a lot, probably under a second and a half early on. I mean, the ball was just out instantly, and guys were open. Guys were guys who weren't open were making catches anyway. You had Tyler Boyd, who scored on a 17-yard touchdown to put the Bengals up 7-3. X-Jet Randy Bullock hits a 24-yard field goal. Then Joe Mixon gets in on a five-yard run. Ficken gets his second field goal later in the quarter. This is all second quarter. And then that would be it for the Jets scoring on the day. The Bengals would pick up a couple points on a Calvin Beecham holding in the end zone when the Jets were pinned back against their own goal line. And then Randy Bullock closed out the scoring with another field goal, a 47-yarder this time. That made it 22-6. And it was, uh, it was a game that really the Jets were, were never in it. And the biggest storyline, and I guess and I, I guess it's one of those just watching the game. I mean, on the sc- scoreboard-wise, yes, the Jets had a shot really – I mean, two scores prior to the safety, of course. You know, you look at it, you say, hey, look, big play, maybe a turnover. You know, you could have the lead in this football game. You know, do you go for two? You, they, they, they weren't mathematically, obviously, the Jets were still in this game until the last couple drives. Then Kelvin Beecham gets the safety. And even then, you think, okay, you know, that's uh puts a couple touchdowns, you gotta get a couple you gotta convert on a couple of two point conversions, things get less and less likely and then the feeling starts to sink in that okay, this team's not gonna make a play today. Nobody nobody's gonna step up. We're not gonna see somebody force a turnover. Jamal Adams was invisible. We would learn later that he injured his ankle early in the game and stayed in. And I'm not you know, I'm always one to question that when guys just disappear. But um, in the case of Jamal Adams, there's no denying the guy has been an absolute monster over these past few weeks. And then all of a sudden to just show up and not show up, I guess, you kind of watch the game. And, you know, for me personally, I was watching the game thinking, what, what, why, why is this guy a non-factor today? We're not seeing him do anything. And uh turns out that was the issue, Jamal Adams' injury. But I digress. I started to see this earlier, got myself a little bit sidetracked, and we'll, we'll talk about this with Manish once he calls in because it's it's been a big story, and it should be a big story. So the Jets can't get their offense going. They can't get their running game going, I should say, for much of the season. I mean, the running game's been a joke. We've not seen Le'Veon Bell eclipse 100 yards yet. But a lot of people went into this game thinking, well, this is the one, this is the game to do it. Because you're facing the 31st ranked offense uh, defense uh, NFL's run, run defense, you've got Bell. If you just let him be, and this is you know, there's there's been a lot of defense of Adam Gase for his handling of Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell had 10 carries in this game, and it it sort of sort of felt like every single play was uh, was drawn up to run right at Geno Atkins, who is arguably the best player on that Bengals defense. 
the one true bonafide run stuffer they have who, who plays at an elite level. And Le'Veon Bell couldn't get anything going on the ground. Up the middle, stuffed. Up the middle, stuffed. Up the middle, stuffed. A couple yards a carry on the day for Bell. 3.2 a carry. 3.2 yards a carry. Longest carry of the day, seven yards. Seven yard long on the day against the 31st ranked run defense in the NFL. Ten carries, 32 yards. So what people are saying, what I'm hearing from the the Adam Gase apologists, is that you can't blame Gase because while the Bengals' offense, while the Bengals struggle to stop the run, the Jets' offensive line can't open any holes. So you've got two terrible terrible units when it comes to getting your job done on the O-line and the D-line, or the, I should say the, the defensive front for the Bengals. But my my counter to that is Le'Veon Bell makes the money he makes because he's supposed to be a difference maker. As in, when all other things are equal, be it equally good or equally bad, which you could make the case that the Jets – Offense, the Jets' run blocking is as bad as the Bengals' ability to stop the run. Well, when all things are equal, Le'Veon Bell is supposed to be a guy who can be the difference maker. Let Le'Veon Bell run to the outside where the Bengals were surrendering over six yards per carry on the season. Over six yards a carry on the season. That Bengals, I keep starting to say offensive line. Jesus. Ah, this game, this team. We don't see Bell run outside once. Adam Gase, offensive innovator, offensive genius. And we don't see Le'Veon Bell get one carry to the outside to be a difference maker. How, How much money is this guy making? Four years. $52 $52 million to run him right into Geno Atkins. It's, real, it's unbelievable. It really is. Adam Gase is a guy. And listen, I'll give credit where credit's due. The last few weeks, I've given Gase, you know, listen, I said, he adjusted. He had up until that point. We were seeing Bell get some targets down the field. The, where, where were the rollouts? I hate – you can say that I sound like a broken record because I keep bringing up the same damn thing. Well, if Adam Gase would implement those things that, that, led, that led this team to scoring 34 points three weeks in a row, I could stop saying it. But, again, we go back to no, not rolling Darnold out, not using Le'Veon Bell down the field, and then in this particular game, not running Le'Veon Bell to the outside. This is another situation, or it's starting to reek of another situation. Adam Gase looks to be yet another, another. How many, how many of these do we need, Jets fans? Really, how, how many times do we have to go through this? Another head coach who just decides... This is what I'm going to do. This is my thing. 
I don't care if it doesn't fit the personnel. I don't care if it's not what my guys are best at. This is what I do. This is about me. This is about, this is my offense. This isn't Le'Veon Bell's offense. This isn't Sam Darnold's offense. Do you know how many hours I spend alone with all my binders, making all my notes about how I'm going to do this? Adam Gase's offense? Le'Veon Bell, one of the best receiving backs in the history of the game? I don't need him. Sam Darnold does all of his best work, seemingly, on the move, rolling out, moving the pocket, keeping the defense guessing. I don't need him to do that. I have a better idea. And it just it, it, it's mind-boggling. There are things that head coaches are asked to do. It almost seems... I mean, it's a stubbornness. And listen, I guess you have to be a strong-willed, stubborn human being to rise to the level of NFL head coach, whether you're the best head coach in the NFL or the worst. But shouldn't there also be an aspect of working with the talent you have and saying, okay, what gives us the best chance to move the football against the 31st-ranked defense? I think I saw... One, maybe two jumbo packages. I didn't see Trevon Wesco, who's he's looked all right as a blocker. Listen, he, he hasn't been nearly as good as we expected him to be. Not that I, you know, we didn't expect the guy to be a superstar or an elite blocker out of the gate. But you figured by week seven, eight, nine, ten, he'd start working himself on the offense, getting some reps, helping block on that edge. I think he had five reps. So no, no, no extra offensive lineman, no blocking tight end, no runs to the outside, no rollouts for Darnold, and you score six points against an 0-11 team. Six points. And again, I get that the drops were there, but listen, I see other NFL teams drop passes and still score points. The penalties were atrocious. I put that on the players I have for years. People try to put that on the coaches. I'm not I'm not buying that. These are These are NFL players who have been playing this game. Even the youngest guys have been playing this game for 10 years. They know what a penalty is. They know what a hold is. They know what offsides is. They know what a false start is. They know what pass interference is. And even if you wanted to blame it on youth, it was a lot of the vets throwing the flags. Beecham, we mentioned, the flag that cost them a, a, a couple points. To really, I think that was the the moment you realized the Jets were not going to win this game, even with over a full quarter of play remaining. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You lose to the 0-7 Dolphins. You lose to the 0-11 Bengals. 
and then you're back. And listen, we were talking about, and rightfully so. I don't. I mean, things change in a hurry in the NFL, don't they? We were talking about well, when you beat Cincinnati, because you can't lose to 0-11 Cincinnati. Then you got Miami after that. We'll be on a four-game winning streak. That'll make it five. Then you go into Baltimore with a chance to get the 500. Probably not going to happen. But you can't help but dream. Can't help but think to yourself, could they do this? Could they pull this off? So you go from thinking this team's a couple weeks away from playing to be 500, as unlikely as it was going to be. You go from feeling pretty good, pretty optimistic, to uh, to getting what you got, which, again, was uh, an embarrassing showing across the board against an inferior team. And that takes away the no ta- the excuse of, you know, we hear people say, oh, the team just doesn't have enough talent. They don't have enough talent. Listen, they had enough talent to score 34 points three weeks in a row. And then all of a sudden they put up six, and now it's back on the talent. I disagree with that. And I do believe we've got Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News joining us. Manish, are you there? Hey, Glenn. How are you? Been better, Manish. I've been better. Uh, just took the time here to, to recap, uh, share a few thoughts on this weekend's embarrassing loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. One thing I, I want to start with, and thank, thank you so much for joining us, Manish. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, Manish, one comment, one question that jumped out at me that came from you after this game, what were your thoughts? You, you said to Adam Gase, you know, what, what the world was thinking, what the broadcaster said a million times during the game. Why aren't we seeing the Jets run the ball more against the 31st-ranked defense? That was your first question to Adam Gase, and his reply was something along the lines of that's just kind of how the game went. Um, that answer to me <laughs> yeah. almost, almost suggests that Adam Gase had no control over how the game went. Um, as the head coach, he's the one calling the plays, and determining how the game goes. Uh, what were your thoughts that, on that, Manish? Uh, pretty much what you just outlined. The, the game is dictated by the calls that are being made by the, the offensive and you know respective offensive and defensive uh, play callers on both sides of the ball. So the game was going that way because he chose to pass the ball. So I actually asked him a follow-up, Glenn, asking asking to expound on that, and his response to that was. Even a little bit more laughable, if you can imagine that, which was, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I called. And I don't think anyone's disputing that's what he called. He's the play caller. But the <laughs> right. question was, why was he calling those plays? And he didn't have a good answer other than, uh, you know, th- th- this is what I decided to call, which is classic Adam Gase. If, if you've been around Adam Gase as long as I have now, uh, the better part of a year, uh, you know, he understands football better than you or me and uh, – you know, how dare somebody question him? I mean, that's the tone that uh, he gives off, uh, you know, whether he means to do that or not. I, I don't know because I can't get in his head. But clearly he's he's very defiant uh, in those types of scenarios uh, when they lose, and it's obvious that part of the reason that they lost was because of the, the, the strategy, the game planning. This is all stuff that gets worked out during the course of a week. They planned on attacking the Bengals in this fashion, which – I thought it was laughable because, uh, as I'm sure you've already talked about uh, in the opening here, you don't have to be an NFL head coach or a college head coach, even a high school coach, to understand that the best way to attack the Cincinnati Bengals is by running the ball. Uh, and if you, you want to dig a little bit deeper and look a little bit closer at uh, that front, running it on the edges. They didn't run on the edges at all outside the tackles. They ran inside, and look, they had – 
a measure of success in the first half doing it that way. Just, they just didn't do it enough. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, I think, was averaging at 4.3 yards a carry in the first half, but he only had five carries. And as a whole, the running backs, I believe, on nine carries in that first half averaged 4.8 yards a carry. So clearly it was working. So the idea of being 3-1 to one pass to run, because Darnold threw the ball 25 times, but I was looking at it a little bit closer and, and, and kind of examining what the actual play calls were. And 28 of those pa- uh, play calls were passes, and only nine were runs. A couple of them were Sam Darnold scrambles off a designed pass, so... Uh, or even a sack, I think. So the bottom line is that Adam Gase thought it was a good idea to have a 3-to-1 pass-to-run ratio in a tight first half, which was a one-possession game until a minute left in the first half uh, against a a team that was giving up, what, 166 yards on the ground. So I thought it was flawed logic, flawed thinking, and it clearly, you know, as the final score uh, told us, it clearly did not work. Yeah, really just a a puzzle. And and I I make that point all the time, Anish, with – you know, I, I make it clear on this show that, that I, I understand these guys know more about football than I'll ever know. You know, as the saying goes, forgotten more than I'll know. But but is it a case of, is Adam Gase just being yet another Jets head coach who's kind of overthinking it and just insisting this is, you know, my way or the highway, so to speak, no matter what the, no matter what the opponent, no matter what their, their, their weaknesses or strengths are, and no matter what my guys are good at, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I think that is Adam Gase in a nutshell, uh, which is he believes he knows the right way to attack an opponent. Uh, and sometimes it'll work. More times than not, uh, in his career as a head coach, it has not worked. There's a reason why he's under 500. Uh, there's also a reason why 41% of his 61 career games as a head coach have resulted in double-digit losses, which to me, of all the stats that you can break down, that mm. to me is is probably the most astounding. Just think about it. Every time he steps on a field as a head coach, uh, there's a 41% chance that his team is going to lose by double digits. That, to me, is so amazing. Uh, not that it, you know that, that stat in a vacuum isn't that big of a deal if you're talking about a guy who's only been a head coach for a year or two. But now we're, we're talking about year four now. It's, we have a 61-game sample size, and the fact that you know, his teams get blown out uh, you know, almost <laughs> almost half the time is uh, is very strange, and you would think that he'd be more flexible. And and we can talk about this more uh, in a little bit. But just uh, in terms of what you just mentioned a moment ago about my way or the highway, that's really what this is. You know, we heard all spring and summer about how his plan is in pencil, and he's got all these great weapons: Quincy and Nunwa, Robbie Anderson, Ty Montgomery, Le'Veon Bell specifically. Uh, and his plan is not in pen. It's in pencil, so it's flexible. That's another way of him saying that he's amenable to change, but the reality is that he wants all of these different pieces to fit into his scheme and his system as opposed to accentuating what these guys do best and and build a new system, and that's just not who he is. That's not who he's ever really been. I thought that he could change and evolve, but to this point, uh, you know, 12 games into his tenure with the Jets, he clearly hasn't. Yeah, definitely definitely a red flag for anyone who's concerned about that. But even with the play calling aside, what were your thoughts on the play of Sam Darnold? Because, listen, the numbers weren't there, obviously, in terms of points. But we saw several big drops. We saw Demarius Thomas. I don't know what happened on the incompletion on the deep ball into the end zone. Uh, if he wasn't expecting the ball to come, but he pulled up a little on what could have been a, 
uh, a long touchdown pass. So Darnold, really, it, it's one of those things where the box score doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, what were your thoughts overall on Darnold's play? And, and really, over the past month, how he's been a, a much better player than he was leading up to that. Well, I thought he was playing at a really high level prior to the Cincinnati game. And, uh, yeah, I don't remember what the stats in the Bengal game were offhand. I know, obviously, he did not commit a turnover. But uh, they did not lose the Bengals game because of Sam Darnold. Uh, he was not great. Uh, he wasn't terrible. Uh, it, it was somewhere in between, and you touched on the drops. And if you look specifically at that first drive, that should have been a touchdown drive. You get, th- you get three drops starting from the first play from scrimmage when Le'Veon Bell drops the ball to that uh, that, that that would-be 40-yard touchdown uh, on a ball that was slightly underthrown. I don't think it was underthrown because of arm talent. I think it was underthrown because he got caught up in the wind. But regardless – uh, that was a ball that Robbie needed to catch, and he didn't catch that. And then there was a wide-open Braxton Berrios on that drive uh, on, on a pass, obviously, that was catchable. So he got burned, uh, Darnold did, on that first drive. And there were some other moments that you touched on as well. Uh, I don't want to make it seem like he was playing out of his mind and they lost in, you know, because of everybody else around him. I, I just think that he played solid. You know, I thought he was fine. He made some really odd decisions that wound up as incompletions. Uh, some off-balance stuff that I thought uh, you know he, he probably should not have you know, taken the risk on, but uh, again he was not the reason that they lost, uh, and he didn't play out of his mind to you know overcome a lot of these issues, whether it was poor execution or penalties uh, on this day. Uh, but that's just for this past Sunday. The prior three weeks, you know, I thought he played at a really high level. He showed you why. Uh, there's so much belief that he can be a franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, I, everybody refers to him as a franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, who covers the team. I know that I, I do sometimes. But the reality is that he, you know, there's there's great potential for him to be a franchise quarterback. He's not actually a franchise quarterback right now because he is going through some some ups and downs as he continues. I think to trend in the right direction. And, and Glenn, I've said this. Uh, you know, I, I've said this for a long time. I think that that Sam Darnold is going to be a difference-making player no matter who the head coach is, uh, whether it's Adam Gase or someone else down the line. The the only question that I have is what kind of difference-making player is he going to be? Is he going to be a player like a Tony Romo, like to that level? Uh, is he going to be a player maybe a notch above, like a Matt Ryan or Philip Rivers? Or is he going to hit the ceiling, which would be somewhere, someone like a, an Aaron Rodgers? I don't know – you know, that range of player, Romo to me would be the floor, Aaron Rodgers would obviously be the ceiling. I don't know what kind of player he's ultimately going to become, but I think that, uh, that no matter who the head coach is, he is going to be a quality player in the league. So uh, Adam Gates was hired to, to make him closer to Aaron Rodgers than at Tony Romo. And we'll see if that ultimately happens. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think he has so much ability physically. I think he comports himself like a leader. So uh, I don't think that. You know, I, I don't think that's an issue. I, I think mentally he can handle playing the position, uh, specifically playing it here in New York. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, that he's going to be a, a flop. You know, a barring injury, of course, he's got to stay healthy. I think he's got all the ability, all the tools, all the promise to be a great player in this league. It's just a matter of whether it's going to happen soon, it's going to happen slower. I, I don't know. But Adam Gates can certainly help things out. And, you know, right now I would say that, you know, Darnold's improving – and you see these flashes, you know, these two, three-week periods. But I would really like to see, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten games of him playing at this level. 
And big news on the injury front this week. Uh, one kind of straightforward and one pretty bizarre that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Jamal Adams, of course, left the stadium in a walking boot, apparently has an ankle that he said uh, he said today that he'll be back on the field when he's when he feels he's back to being himself. So who knows if that's uh if th- this could be a multiple week, which really at this point in the season could be the rest of the year. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But linebacker C.J. Mosley finally placed on IR, and just a bizarre overall situation. The guy hurts himself week one, heading into week two. Heading into week two, the Jets were optimistic he would play. He did not play for several weeks. Came back, played another game where he was literally, you know, bouncing around on one leg. He's been out since then. It, the, the story leaked, or I think CJ may have said himself that the 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 groin was hampered and it led it, it became a, a a core injury and and now it's the groin again and they finally put him on IR. So here's a guy injured in week one. Hopefully he's going to play week two. And a few months later, he's on injured reserve, having played parts of two games this season. What, what's going on there? Yeah, I think, Glenn, the, the issue was, yeah, he, it was a groin injury. But he actually, I want to say it was after the Patriots game. Maybe it was somewhere in, in that period between the Bills and the Patriots game when he returned, when he said that the injury was actually on the upper part of his groin, you know, the core muscle area. I mean, he didn't use that term, but he essentially told us that, it was in a spot that lended itself for, uh, you know, a, a, a slower healing process. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, even after the Patriot game, in which you said accurately that he was basically, <laughs> you know, hobbling around on one leg, uh, he did not want to have surgery. So he, he went to some, some trainers and doctors and, and people that he trusts to try to avoid that surgery. And perhaps if things went perfectly for the Jets' return toward the end of the season – I think that was a pipe dream. I, I know that people in the building mm-hmm. essentially thought that, look, this is a long shot. We're also realistic, knowing full well that we're not going to make the playoffs. So why not give him the opportunity, you know, the four, five, six-week period to to see if, you know, the guys that he trusts and leans on medically can you know, help him get better without surgery. And that obviously didn't take. So he was going to have surgery, maybe even had surgery today. So, uh uh, yeah, it, it bizarre in the sense that the initial prognosis was that you know, he might be back. But, you know, to me, when a guy gets injured like that and you have a soft tissue injury, I take what I hear in terms of getting back on the field quickly with a grain of salt because it's, it's not practical. I mean, I, these guys are obviously in a much better physical condition than the average person, and they get great medical care. But uh, soft tissue injuries don't heal up in seven days or, you know, usually don't even heal up in, in, in two weeks when you're talking about the groin or the hamstring. So I never really bought that he was going to come back the following week. Uh, I thought that was just kind of, you know, that's it, just kind of what you hear, coach speak, player speak. You know, you don't really listen to that. You kind of just want to find out exactly what the injury is. And, uh, you know, as he revealed – because it was higher up on the groin, it was it was a more complicated issue, and uh, it is unfortunate because I do think that you don't want to say he's you know he's not a bust. He's got a, what, a four-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, he's a extremely right. smart guy, and when he's healthy, he's going to be you know a big contributor for this team next year. It's just unfortunate because the Jets broke the bank for him, paid him more money than any inside linebacker has ever gotten in the history of football, and really overpaid for him. Frankly, I mean, this is a what seventeen million a year, fifty-one million guaranteed, and that fifty-one million isn't a fake fifty-one million. The way the contract is structured, he's going to be on the Jets for two more years, he's, and he's going to pocket that fifty-one million. 
million in the first three years of his deal. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty p- price to pay, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for the Jets, depending on your perspective. Uh, if Joe Douglas were the GM, he would not uh, have signed C.J. Mosley, regardless of what anybody else in the building thought, because the the idea of playing – you know, an inside linebacker that much money, $17 million on average, is, uh, you know, ludicrous in some people's eyes. Now, I, I thought that they, they really overpaid for him, but because they needed that position, that it would have been fine. Uh, but I can tell you that, you know, if Mike McCagden were not running the show during free agency, if it were Joe Douglas doing it, uh, they would have gone in a different direction. And now... One of the few bright spots from this past Sunday, Robbie Anderson may have had the quietest 100-yard game in the history of the NFL. Uh, Seven grabs, 101 yards. That puts him at 189 over the last couple games, and 187. So we saw Ryan Griffin get his deal a couple weeks ago, Manish. One of the hot topics uh, among Jets fans has been, who do the Jets have on this roster who is worth retaining with only a year left on on their deals, respectively? For uh, myself and I know many others, the, the three names we keep hearing, Jordan Jenkins, Robbie Anderson, Brian Poole, these are three players you'd happily move forward with. Um, if, you, if you're the Jets, how would you prioritize those three? And is there anyone I'm leaving out that you would try to retain? I, I think they'd like to bring back Jordan Jenkins. Uh, Jordan Jenkins is going to make a lot of money. Uh, you know, when, when the final number comes in, whether it's re-signing with the Jets or hitting the open market, I think Jet fans will be a little bit surprised with the kind of money that he's going to make uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of double digits, uh, you know, in terms of an annual per year, uh, that's just kind of the market for, for his position. You know, it's his second contract, so he's a young player still. Uh, I think he's the guy that they would really like to, uh, you know, lock up. Uh, Brian Poole, look, he's a good player. He's a physical player. He brings that, like, physical, nasty edge that you that, that you want, specifically that what, that what Greg Williams wants, uh, you know, on the back end. Uh, his coverage is is all right. Uh, I think it's improved. Uh, I know that people in the building believe that it's improved. Is it really good? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that's uh, that. That's a fair characterization. I think it's fine. I think it's better than it had been in Atlanta. There's a reason why Atlanta didn't give him the RFA tender and why the Jets signed him to a one-year deal. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if they if they want him back, uh, which I, I think they do want him back, uh, this isn't going to be any kind of you know exorbitant contract. It won't be any kind of albatross around his neck. They got him on the cheap in this past free agency. Maybe they'll pony up a little bit more money, but this is like a, a guy who's not going to you know, break your bank. Uh, so uh, he would be a good guy to get back in the building. Uh, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they do uh, before the season is over, give him, uh, give him a deal. Uh, if not, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that are frankly going to be knocking down the door for Brian Poole. So they could wait if they want to. Uh, Robbie Anderson, uh, you're right. The last couple games have been good. Uh, last week I thought was solid, uh, uh, but he did drop a touchdown. I, I don't want to minimize that because that could have set the tone for the, the entire game. It was, you know, it was the first drive in which he, I, I think that was clearly a catchable ball. That being said, mm-hmm. he made some tough contested catches, and, and I think that's what you want to see out of Robbie Anderson. You want to see two things. Uh, first and foremost, you want to see better route running, and that's something that Adam Gase gave him an opportunity to do. Show him that he can be a better route runner. Uh, to diversify his portfolio, give him opportunities to do that. So I do want to be fair to Gase uh, because Gase did make it a point all spring and summer to not only tell us publicly but privately, uh, you know, make sure that this guy has an opportunity to show us what he has. And I think that he has shown uh, the coaching staff 
and the front office what he has. I just don't think that is good enough in their eyes. So unless something has changed in the last couple of weeks, I'll be honest with you, I haven't looked into it over the past couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, two or three weeks ago, you know, I, I, I did check in on that, and I did not think uh, from what I was told that they were going to bring him back. Uh, I think they'll let him walk, and you know he'll probably get uh, probably get more money actually than what most of us think uh, that he he will get. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not saying this is this is not exactly this exact same type of player, but uh, I remember when the Raiders uh, this past free agency signed Tyrell Williams, Tyrell Williams, sorry, and uh, he got a pretty penny. So I, I think the market will be uh, much better for Robbie Anderson uh, when he hits free free agency rather than doing some kind of you know, team-friendly, cheap deal in December, and I don't even know if the Jets would want to do that. Uh, again, maybe things have changed. Probably not uh, over the last couple of weeks, but uh, you know, the, the indication I got was that as of you know, I would say, I would say early November was that you know they 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 weren't going to let him walk. They were going to let him walk. Uh, they 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 really were shopping him, and I know that that term shopping was uh, debated heavy, heavily among Jet fans uh, during the trade deadline and talking about yes, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell. But uh, but I can assure you that they were shopping Robbie Anderson. So they didn't want to move on from him if they could get some kind of draft capital. It didn't happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think anything's going to change. Uh, you know, may, Maybe something crazy happens over the next couple of weeks, but uh, I, I think he's going to hit the market and he'll be on another team in 2020. Manish Mehta, New York Daily News. As always, Manish, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Manish. See you, man. All right. So there's Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. And um, listen, that's uh, the Robbie Anderson thing. I've been over it a million times. I know that I'm a bigger fan of, of Robbie Anderson's game than than many Jets fans out there. I, you know, aside just just aside from the fact that he's – you know the the deep threat that he is. You know we're we're seeing again now a more diversified route tree, which we saw at the end of last year. Um, even if you're not a huge fan of Robbie Anderson, and look at that, I was 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 Alex Alex, I believe, is on the line with us now. Alex, are you there? Hey, Glenn, how you doing, bud? Thanks for holding down the Hey, court. I literally just hung up with Manish. Uh, sorry, you got caught up. <laughs> Alex wasn't able to join us uh, on a Manish call, but let me get you up to speed. I was just about to talk about uh, the last question I asked Manish, Alex, was uh, Ryan Griffin got his deal. What's the likelihood or how would he prioritize Jordan Jenkins, Brian Poole, Robbie Anderson? His feeling was they'd like to bring Jenkins back. He'll get more money in free agency than fans realize. I think that's the case with Jenkins and Robbie Anderson, by the way. Um, I think they'll both be in the $10 million per year range. And so basically, Jenkins, yes, they'd love to have him back. Poole, if they can get him on another cheap deal, they might bring him back. But he feels like the team is ready to let Robbie Anderson walk. And anyone who listens to this show knows that I'm a big fan, supporter of him. And uh, I just I don't see this team being in position to just let guys walk because, you know, that's, uh, th- there are enough holes to fill on this team. And if you've got a guy who you know is really good at even one or two things, I think you keep him around. But Manish feels like Robbie Anderson will be an ex-Jet unless something changes, unless maybe he he has three monster games down the stretch. So what do you think about that, Alex? Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, an interesting take. 
Uh, it was clearly evident uh, a couple weeks before the trade deadline that he was, uh, I guess, you know, being uh, shopped around or maybe they took calls, like they said, or um, whatever the case may be of how they handled it. But they were clearly looking or comfortable with moving on from him, which is a little bit of a scary point, um, I guess, for the fans, because I know a lot of people have come to uh, like what Robbie Anderson does. He's a playmaker and he uh, is is an electric player. Um, we saw that this weekend um, when you, when you, I guess, uh, put him into the game plan and, and you give him an ample amount of targets, he, he can really do some things um, and, and keep the, uh, the chains moving. So it's clearly what he did this weekend. Um, again, he made some contested catches, you know, over the middle and other things like that. So you know, Robbie's a good receiver. Um, I think the big thing with him is consistency. And uh, maybe that's perhaps what the Jets see or how they evaluate him is that he's a a streaky kind of guy. Um, I think that he gets open quite often and and he's just not getting enough targets his way. Um, But yeah, I can, I can completely see them, them moving on. Uh, Clearly uh, what we think of of Joe Douglas um, and his greatness, as as everybody had alluded to before he got here, um, he clearly has a different, feeling about all of these players and, and all the, the homegrown guys that we've come accustomed to. He clearly has no attachment to any of them or loyalty to them. So it wouldn't be that shocking at all. Um, I can completely see him the, or the Jets rather just letting him go into free agency and, and test the market and, and let somebody else, you know, give him that, that big money deal. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't shock me at all. Yeah, he's uh, Robbie Anderson's quite the enigma. He really is. He's tough to figure out. It's like you know, is it is it the play calling? Is it the effort? I know fans get on him. I, I think I think fans that sometimes make their mind up about a guy, and then as a result, sometimes see things that aren't there. I've seen criticisms of Rob. You know, he doesn't have a big day, and right away, oh, no effort today. Like I never I never really see the see the guy over the course of a game just jogging around the field and not trying. Um, I don't think that's the case with Robbie. I think he's, a, a, again, a very talented guy. But, listen, the the production, the consistency just hasn't been there. And I, I, would, I would look at the coaching staff and say, why isn't this guy, you know, I've said it a million times this year, why, why aren't we seeing more deep targets for this guy? And that, that does bring me to something I did want to talk about this week, Alex, because it's something we've seen. Now, Manish talked about the – the underthrown deep ball from Robbie Anderson from to Robbie Anderson from Sam Darnold this week. Uh, that Manish says, you know, thinks he got caught up in the wind a little bit, which is why it was underthrown. But one of the one of the bigger concerns about Sam Darnold, one of the only concerns, honestly, um, after watching him in camp a couple years ago, uh, came away thinking, you know, love the player, love what he can do. But there were some questions about his deep ball accuracy, and those things did show up quite a bit in camp. And I feel like we're seeing it, you know, listen, the the flea flicker a couple weeks ago, that's a touchdown if that's a better throw. We've seen Robbie have to come back to some balls. We've seen we've seen receivers get overthrown. You know, I mentioned the Demarius Thomas play. That, I think, was on Thomas pulling up. I don't know. Uh, I, I did watch later. I think I, I think I sent out on Twitter. I ended up listening to the broadcast of the first half because I got stuck in France on the drive back up here. 
did get home just in time for the second half. Regrettably, I wish I'd been stuck in traffic. So, uh, but one thing the broadcaster said was that they felt like Demarius Thomas may have pulled up because perhaps he wasn't expecting the ball to come his way. But, but either way, the deep ball numbers that, for, for, sure. for, for, yeah. And when I, when I went back and 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 rewatched that play, I can see where they were coming from. But even with that considered, uh, we've seen a lot of a lot of poorly thrown deep balls from Sam Darnold. Is this something? Do you think? Would, does it worry you at this point, or you just say, look, he's still a second-year guy in a new offense, and he's getting to know some of these players, and uh, it's something that he can settle over time? Or is it just a thing that's always going to be there for him uh, that he'll you know, be good enough to overcome, won't be detrimental, but uh, he'll never be a great deep ball guy? Yeah, I think it's kind of almost like the uh, – kind of like a golfer's mentality, how certain people – uh, just feel comfortable with certain clubs that are kind of intermediate range, and they feel that when they're inside the tee box, they just can't strike the uh, the driver for the long ball, you know, accurately. And sometimes that's just mechanics and and uh, confidence upstairs. Um, if I had to say with with Sam Darnold, I think it's mechanics because he uses a lot of you know flick of the wrist and snapping the football, and he's got a good quick release, but when he's trying to make these throws down the field, um, you have to use your body when you do it. You have to use your lower body and, and get your get your feet underneath you and, and get your shoulders pointed accurately. And, you know, those are a lot of things that Sam does or Sam negates with his play style is he doesn't necessarily have to mechanically be in proper position in order to deliver a short or intermediate throw. And I think that there are times where he'll see a deep, uh, you know, the deep ball um, or a receiver is going deep and he wants to do that. And you'll kind of see him pump or reset and kind of quickly try to twitch his body and then, and then, you know, just kind of throw it up there. Um, I think it comes down with mechanics and, and that would be something that um, I, if I were Sam or, you know, Gase and, or Dow Loggins, whomever's going to be, working with him in the off season. That's something that I think that you should focus in on is working on his mechanics, his footwork and trying to develop a little bit more balance or lower body strength so that he can kind of use his whole body rather than just use all arm or shoulder when he's trying to make those throws, because clearly we've seen, um, you know, sometimes he's overthrowing sometimes, you know, majority of the time he's underthrowing. Um, you know, I do feel that, the receiver's job uh, to track the ball down and, and kind of be aware of that, whether or not if you have to get vertical and, and go up and get that football. Um, I kind of feel that there, that Robbie Anderson was trying to cradle and uh, waited underneath that ball on that particular drop and it hit him right in the hands. And it, it was a tough play because he was kind of going down and trying to caress it at the same time. And, you know, Jeremy Bates was the one that was covering him and didn't have a play on it. But my under, my feeling is, is if Robbie tries to go up and get vertical for that ball and draws the contact of Jeremy Bates, that's a passing interference call because the defensive back is not looking back for the football. That would be considered interference, and we would have gotten the ball on the one-yard line, which theoretically could have led to a score rather than uh, a drop Barrios pass and then a field goal. So I, I think that that's a split between those two. But, yeah, I think it's a mechanical issue, and I think that Sam's not putting his body in the right position to execute those throws. And, 
yes, even dating back from college, the, the scouting reports are 100% accurate that he is very good intermediate and short um, passer. He's very good at that, but he does have tendencies to not be as accurate or get his guys in stride on the deep ball. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, we're going to have to see in time. And, and another point that, you know, I think it, it, it would be unfair to mention the fact that he has been, especially this year more so than last year, um, he has been under duress often enough that he's not, you know, he is making some throws without being able to set his feet. As much as, you know, we talk about how good he is on the move, uh, that doesn't mean you want him to be constantly, you don't want him on the move on every single play. You want him. You want him to be able to set his feet at times to make some of these throws, and that just hasn't been happening. So that's that's something to you know to bear in mind in in trying to figure out if this is going to be a a long time thing for him. So hopefully, you know, as we've all said a million times, hopefully Joe Douglas rebuilds this O line. I think this week it was exposed again in that up the middle. And I, I tweeted this out during the game. I, you know, I've said before that of the five guys on this line, I think Jonathan Harrison might have the best shot to come back and start, not because he's great, but because he is solid and he is affordable and he will know the system. And I don't think you want to replace five guys. But uh, the issue you're going to run into from time to time is that, as I said, Jonathan Harrison is a solid player. Well, every now and then, when you have a solid player here, a solid player there, every now and then they're going to match up against a guy who is an all-pro. And solid is often not going to be good enough to negate an all-pro. And that's what happened. Yep. He went up against Geno Atkins. He uh, he got his lunch money taken. But I still honestly, you know, listen, if the guard play was better, you can double Geno a little bit. But this, this O-line basically needs to be rebuilt. But I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see how they approach it because I don't think you want five new guys. But of those five, who would you say, Alex? Like that that would be my pick. If you said to me, Glenn, one of these guys has to come back and start next year, I would I would say Jonathan Harrison for the for the reasons I gave. He's cheap. He knows the system, and he, he's a decent enough player. Um, you know, Kelvin Beecham is probably the best of the group in all reality. But are you going to want to pay him even lower end backup ta- or lower end starting tackle money uh, when it's probably a position you'll address in the draft? And, you know, I, I hear people, I, Alex Lewis's name comes up a lot. I mean, I think fans are overrating him a little bit at this point. He's not a, I'm not, I'm not here saying he's a complete disaster. But I don't look at him and think, yeah, bring that guy back. I, if you want to bring him back for depth as a spot starter, absolutely. Absolutely. But if I had to pick one guy on this line to start next year uh, to come back, it would, it would be Harrison. And, and of, of that group, Alex, who, who would you say, if you had to bring one back, who's it going to be? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to have to eat my words from last week because I think I, I had said two or three to bring back from next year. Um, after this week's performance, uh, just looking at my notes here, uh, 24 total pressures and 74 snaps. That's 32% right there. Uh, five sacks were letting up, but only four counted because there was a 
an odd scenario where they got a sack um, that was led up by Jonathan Harrison, but they took the holding penalty instead and pushed us back deeper on third down, uh, which was pretty interesting because it would have been a fourth and two situation and, and we would have had to punt. But, uh, yeah, there was five sacks let up. Um, three of them, I noticed, came from a four-man rush. Uh, total of nine QB hits in the safety. Uh, a couple big penalties took away. A Bilal Pal 23-yard screen and a Lev Bell third-down conversion on third 14 for a 23-yard run, uh, which would have made his day um, significantly better um, had that mishap had not happened. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, clearly a frustrating week. Beecham let up six pressures and a safety. Alex Lewis let up three pressures. Harrison had four. Um, Compton had four pressures, let up two sacks, two penalties, uh, a hold and a false start. Brandon Shell got beat like a drum with seven pressures, a false start, two sacks. So I don't think any of these guys are wor- uh, worthy of coming back. If I did have to pick one, I'd agree with you with Jonathan Harrison, uh, mainly because he is under contract. And he's probably, I think he's the uh, the only center that Sam's had the most work with as far as chemistry in that, that category. Um, so there would be some familiarity with that in the event that next year's new center or uh, backup or rookie draft or free agent signing, whatever Joe Douglas decides to do, um, Harrison should be in the, the mix just for familiarity for 14. Uh, Edoga is going to be back, we know, because uh, he's under a rookie contract. So there's just those two guys right there. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing Alex Lewis maybe in a backup role next year, but I think it would be detrimental to have him in a starting role. So Harrison and Edoga would be the only two that I would be willing to uh, see come back as a, for next year. Yeah, Edoga is a guy, and I've, I've said it before, I'm anxious to see what he can do. Um, you know, I, I have no idea what the guy's work ethic is, I guess, basically. But if he busts his ass and gets in the gym, you know, in an NFL program for an off season, I'd like to see what he can do because the guy has the physical tools. He's got the footwork to be a quality tackle. Uh, you know, some have said maybe he gets moved inside to guard. I guess that's a possibility as well. I think they'll look at him in a mm-hmm. couple different spots. Um, yeah, and that, that's kind of why I left his name off because we know is being on a rookie deal, there is no question about do we re-sign this guy. Right. Um, whereas, yeah, you know, uh, Beach, Beecham's deal is up. Lewis, I believe, his deal is up. And Comp, I can't remember if Compton signed a, a, a one- or two-year deal. Uh, and then, of course, Shell, his deal is up. And Shell, you know, I, going into the game, as much as I've praised him the last couple of weeks, uh, one of the, uh, the, the five top matchups to keep an eye on, uh, pregame I said Brandon Shell and Carlos Dunlop because – Brandon Shell's consistency. He'll have himself a couple of really good games or a couple of even just decent games. A couple of games where he's not great, but it doesn't necessarily hurt you. Um, he'll he'll string a few of those together, and then he'll have one like he had. And it didn't, you know, the fact that again we didn't see a lot of uh, a lot of moving of the pocket from Sam Darnold. We didn't see any rollouts. Uh, you weren't on obviously earlier, Alex, when we started the show, and I talked about it with Manish. Uh, who who is of the belief, you know, basically along the lines of what I think with Adam Gase, and and not just Adam Gase, and this is so frustrating, and and I'm I'm the only reason I'm going to touch on it again, Alex, not only because you weren't here, there's another aspect of it that I I wrote a small article on uh, during the week. It's 
it, it was almost as if, and this is what I said, you know, the football gods were just messing with the Jets a little bit or messing with Jets fans. Because here we are watching this game against, as, and I'll just say it quickly because we've said it a million times, you're playing the 31st-ranked run defense in the NFL. They're at their worst when you run to the edges. Adam Gase, zero runs to the edge. No jumbo packages, no blocking tight ends. No, let's give our $14 million a year running back a chance to make a play. Even if our run blocking is terrible, they're terrible at stopping the run. Let's put it in Le'Veon Bell's hands. We saw none of that. And what, ha- what do we get treated to during the commercial break? And listen, this isn't a revelation. It's not as if, you know, this isn't something every single fan and every single coach is aware of. But so here we watch Le'Veon Bell ram his head into Geno Atkins time and time again. And then when we cut the commercial break, we have to watch this. Uh, or they may have even just shown the promo during the game. It might not have been like during a break, whatever it was. I got to sit there and listen to Bill Belichick, you know, being asked what what's his philosophy on coaching. And, of course, he references Sun Tzu, the military tactical book, saying, you know, what you want to do as a coach is find your opponent's weakness and attack it. You can't sit back. You can't dig a hole. You have to find what the weakness is, and you attack that weakness. And I'm just sitting there thinking, is this, is this what we have to look at right now? Is the, 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 the best coach in the history of the game, who was the Jets coach for 30 seconds, talking about how important it is? And, again, not a revelation, not something we don't already know. But to have to sit there on that particular Sunday and listen to Bill Belichick talk about the importance of attacking your opponent's weaknesses as Adam Gase was in the middle of losing to an 0-11 team. And it was just, it was like a cruel joke. But you didn't get a chance to weigh in on that, Alex, because you weren't here. What are your thoughts on that? My thing is, you should have run to the outside more. No, the Jets aren't a good run-blocking team. That doesn't mean, I would say, okay, well, I'm going to send my, 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 my bad blockers against their bad defenders, and let's let Le'Veon Bell make the difference. He never got that opportunity. As Manish said, the Jets averaged over four a carry in the first half. Didn't matter. The Jets still abandoned the run. It was a close game for the most part. Still abandoned the run against the 31st-ranked run defense. What were your thoughts on that, Alex? Because it has been a hot topic all week. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, they're, I'm not sure, you know, what the fans are anticipating with the amount of touches that Le'Veon Bell should have. Um, if you, you know, count the, the holding penalty that was pulled back in his draw pass, he would have had 17 touches in the game. And, you know, I think that at this point in time, anywhere between 15 to 20 touches is more than ample for him. Uh, you're talking about, you know, almost 22 to 25% of the offensive plays running through 26 so I don't know if, if fans are, are looking to have us be a one-dimensional team and, and everything goes through 2-6. Uh, for instance, you know, we don't make adjustments. Well, I've been seeing a lot more, you know, open sets to spread the field out and stop putting six, seven, eight bodies inside the tackle box and, and putting pressure on our offensive linemen and, and, and letting teams just dial it up and, and pin their ears back against 14 but I guess we can save that conversation um, for another time. But, uh, you know, as far as the, the flow of the game, uh, things just kind of slipped out uh, dramatically for us uh, quite early. Uh, I, I think the penalties really, really set us back. 
drops obviously were were the biggest killer. Um, those are momentum killers because right after our first drive, um, we we went three plays for zero yards, um, and then after that, three plays for negative three yards, and then. I believe we were able to conjure up a drive, but then we fell short um, on the next series. And then probably one of the best offensive series that they had was their, their final two-minute drill um, at the end of the uh, second or first half where they, where they just came up short and they had to go for the field goal. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of understand what he was saying is how the flow of the game kind of just kind of got away from them and, and whatever game plan they had or that they wanted to do, they immediately had to divert from it. Um, something that the commentator had mentioned, um, which was definitely most evident, is that this offensive line and the offense were struggling so much that he was trying to figure out plays to get as much protection as possible rather than trying to coordinate or figure out ways to attack the offense because Sam, Luke Falk, all the quarterbacks that we've rotated with this year, nobody had enough time to, to attack the defenses as, as we often talked about early on. So my, my whole thing with it is we just kept slipping. Um, we, the time just kind of like the hourglass in the sand was getting away from us and we weren't making enough plays and executing to keep us within. And I think the, the worst part about it is how they had uh, nothing in the second half um, whatsoever. Um, completely just horrific. There, there's really no other way uh, of putting that, to be honest with you. They, they just played absolutely horrible in the second half. Defense did all right, um, only allowing three points in the second half. But it was far too late at that point, um, especially when you're getting pinned back in your own 20, inside your own 10, inside your own 5, and, and, and you can't even get positive yards uh, regardless of what you did. So, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, I said that the field position battle was another disaster. But in regards to Gase, uh, you know, saying that's how the game went, that that to me that carries no weight because he's the one determining how the game goes. Uh, this isn't. It's not as if this team was down 28-3 in the second quarter. This was a winnable game up until really. I mean, it, until the Beecham safety, and even then. You know, as I said at the top, you got an outside shot. But even before that, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a two-score game. And we just we just weren't seeing Le'Veon Bell. And they weren't getting anything going. And when we saw Bell early on, he was, you know, his, his long on the day was seven yards. I, I just, I don't like the idea of the head coach. You know what it reminded me of? And I, it was probably the first moment that I, as a fan, really kind of was disgusted and, and turned on Rex Ryan a little bit. It was when Rex had those back-to-back weeks. You had the 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 Giants debacle when they came out and and you know lost what was it Christmas Eve whatever the hell it was, um, and you know they threw the ball like 49 times or something like that and ran it 17 or 18 or something. They had a ridiculous run-pass ratio, um, and Rex said after the game, you know that that's not what that's not what we're built to do. You know, almost putting putting it on Schottenheimer, and I'm just thinking to myself, then why did you do it? You're the head coach. What do you mean? That's not what we're built. Like the first words out of your mouth, that thing we just did under my leadership. That's not what we do. Well, apparently it is 
because you just did it. And then a couple of weeks, then what was it? A week later, uh, the, uh, the 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 Wayne Hunter, you know, shouting match in the huddle with Santonio Holmes and Rex after the game. Like I didn't see it, and he probably <laughs> did. And he's probably, but th- th- this had that feel to me. Adam, yeah. you're facing the 31st run defense in the NFL. You have a 15 million dollar year running back, arguably the best running back in the NFL. When you block for him a little bit, uh, why didn't you run him? Oh, that's not how the game went. Well, who determined how the game went? You're not. It's not yeah. bingo. You're not rolling balls in a cage and picking the plays out. Like you, you're responsible for putting together a game plan. And if you listen to Le'Veon Bell after the game, he kind of sounded like he didn't expect to get a lot of carries. And he, so he knows what the game plan is too. And and I think that Bell, you gotta. I'll tell you what, you gotta tip your cap to that guy, because. And I don't, you know, I'm not a big believer in it. And I, I often criticize people who go with the whole, you know, how can this guy coach? He never played the game at the pro level. Listen, Bill Belichick never played the game at the pro level. That's all you have to know. It's, it's not a requirement yeah. in the NFL. Some of these guys are great <clears throat> coaches because they love the game and they're not great players. So they spend a lifetime watching and learning the game. I'm not saying that Adam Gase isn't a good coach because he didn't play the game. However, Le'Veon Bell has got to be immensely frustrated because he's basically being negated by a guy who never did this job and who has only ever been fired at his job. Like, Adam Gase has never been good as a head coach, and it's not as if you could say, well, he played the position, so Gase understands. That's not the case either. So here's Le'Veon Bell, a guy who's on track to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and his head coach who never played the game and his head coach who's never been good as a head coach has decided that he's worth 10 carries against one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. And Le'Veon Bell has handled himself with nothing but class, despite being with this organization, or really despite being with a head coach who at times doesn't really seem to have any idea how to use him. You've got one of the most dynamic – I mean, you you can't have it both ways. It's like, is Adam Gase an offensive innovator? Or is Adam Gase a guy who can't figure out how to get one of the best offensive players in the NFL involved in the offense? You can't be both of those things. And right now, Le'Veon Bell is not an integral part of this offense. He's just not. We're not seeing the receptions. We're not seeing. I mean, and again, I get that the run blocking is bad, but there are some things you can do. And I said it, I've said it a couple times. To be honest with you, we didn't see jumbo packages. Trevon Wesco, how many times did he come in and block? Three, four. And he, he, well, as far I mean, as run blocking, that's something he hasn't been that bad at. So why right. are we not seeing? No, it? I completely agree with you. I mean, he Griffin. I mean, they run a lot of single tight end sets. Um, he had 62 snaps out of the 74 um, plays. So that's 84 percent. And then there was 19 reps split between Wesco and Brown, where they had a two or a three tight end set. So, you know, for people to say that they didn't put any, any bodies out there to help them to negate the pass rush and things like that, you know, I, I get it. A lot of people watch the game once. You know, they drink a lot of beer. They come up with one, you know, uh, standard inside their head, and then they just run with it for the week. Um, they, he did put extra bodies out there to try to help Sam. But at the same time, you can't just have two guys running routes um, when when – the Bengals have, you know, a 17 or sorry, a 13 point lead. And then it turns into a 16 point lead. And 
<clears throat> what are you supposed to do? Uh, you know, run max protect with uh, seven down linemen and two receivers and then just hope you win one-on-one battles against zone coverage when the team has got the lead and, and they're playing not to lose, um, which they completely did. But if you look at the flow of the game in the second half, our first offensive series, four plays, negative 10 yards, uh, huge hold by uh, Tom Compton. Uh, there was a false start and then a holding penalty by Tom Compton in our first offensive series in the second half, uh, which negated that big 23-yard uh, play, Bell. Um, and then the next series after that, um, we get pinned down inside the five-yard line with a phenomenal punt by Cincinnati. Uh, we start off with a zero, a one-yard carry uh, by Bell, um, then a false start, uh, and then the uh, holding penalty inside the end zone, which resulted to a safety. We punt the ball back to them. They come down the field. They kick a field goal. Next thing you know, uh, we're half, not even halfway through the, the third quarter, and we're down 22 to six. And at that point, I don't see how continuing to, to try to pound the ball and eat away at the clock uh, when, when you clearly have to go and into a, a quicker no-huddle style so that you can try to score quick and, and get points on the board. And they did try to do that. But, again, with the way that the offensive line had conducted themselves with the early drops, and the fact that we were moving backwards rather than forwards, there was no way that there was that we were ever going to be able to develop a rhythm. Um, our, our next offensive series, three plays, zero yards, three plays, negative four yards, and then sometime in the middle of the fourth quarter, we ended up with 10 plays for 44 yards, uh, which ends up with no points whatsoever, as we all know. So... It went right for Cincinnati. Everything went wrong for this team. Uh, I'm not going to sit here, and, and, and I know everyone calls me, you know, according to Twitter, an ap- a gay apologist or an excuse maker and things like that. I'm fine with it. Call me what you will. But at the end of the day, when you go back and you look at this, this game flow and you look at the actual all-22 film, nothing went right all day long for this team. Um, and – you know, one of the scariest things is that we only let up three points defensively, uh, mainly because of our offense. I mean, you could say that the offense let up five points because it's the safety and then the punt leads to the next field goal. So you could almost say that the, the Jets' defense didn't let up any points if it wasn't, you know, for the offense being the way that they had played in that second half. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, was the game plan strong enough? No, it was definitely not. Um, did the offensive line play horrific and not give Sam a chance to do his job? No, they did not. Um, you know, were, was there times in the second half where Sam felt that pressure and he felt that need to where he had to make a play? Um, yes, I do feel that Sam was a little rushed um, trying to go through his things, trying to make big plays to try to, to, to get us back into this game. Um, you know, I put a tweet out there last night showing – uh, a play in the fourth quarter, uh, and it's a, it's a completely designed play to get the ball down into the hands of, of Le'Veon Bell by having the receivers push the field vertically because the Cincinnati just basically dropped back into a zone in the second half, and, and they were trying to keep everything in front of them and just maintain the lead that they had and, and come away with their first victory, and it worked out for them. 
Um, and, and you could see at the end of that play that I put out there that Lev Bell was wide open. Um, no receiver w- was within 10 yards of him, and he would have had nothing but, you know, grass in front of him. It would have been the first down. Um, the drive would have been kept alive, and, and who knows if that would have been the play to spark the offense to, to actually get in the end zone. So Sam was a little bit off due to just the uh, – the, just the, you know – tripping on your own feet with all the penalties and just not having the rhythm and the drops and everything that I've already repeated. So it just didn't work out well. Nothing aligned right. And, um, you know, we were moving more backwards than we were forward. And, you know, I'm frustrated. Everyone's frustrated. Um, It sucks to lose. It hurts to lose to a team that, you know, hasn't won a game all year. Uh, But we did allude to that that, you know, the Jets were probably feeling themselves after three weeks of scoring, I don't know, 102 points in three games, and they probably thought that they could just come in here and get an easy W and, you know, sing and dance on the plane ride home, and it was a rude awakening. Well, I thought that was funny, Alex, because, yeah, I, I thought it was funny because that was something that I saw from Connor Hughes who said the Jets got overconfident, the Jets were, you know, as you said, smelling themselves a little bit, and and getting a little too high after three wins. And this is just the previous week, Connor Hughes was like, the Jets are surging because Adam Gase's leadership. And then seven days later, oh, the Jets lost because they lost focus and they were thinking they were better than they are. I'm like, well, where's that leadership? Like, literally seven days ago, they won three in a row because Adam Gase is a great leader. Fast forward to the following Sunday, uh, the Jets lost because the leader didn't keep them focused on the you know, the fact that, yeah, we won three in a row, but we're still four and seven. You know, we didn't just clinch a playoff berth and home field advantage. We beat a couple of bad teams. We beat one decent team, If you know, just in terms of record with Oakland. Like, let's settle down a little bit. But uh, if that was the case, then Jesus Christ, this team will never be any good. Like, if you're doing backflips and losing focus because you get the four and seven and the coach can't keep that in check um, and remind you that you're still not that good and you've got a long way to go, I mean, the great coaches, the guys like Belichick, the Parcells, you win eight in a row and they're telling you after the game that you're garbage and you're the worst team in the league and you probably won't win another game this year. Uh, and keeping players in check. So it sounds like the the thoughts around the Jets is that they've uh, that they they were allowed to to kind of again feel themselves a little bit and think like oh we're we're a big deal now. Uh, whether or not it's true, I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious uh, for Connor Hughes one week to say that this guy the team is on track because they got a great leader, and then the following week all oh, this team is off track again because uh, no one's paying attention anymore. Um, just wanted to share share one quick stat before we sign off for the night. Um, in regards to the Jets' run defense, another solid showing. Just saw this tweet from Dennis Wozak. I don't know if you saw this, uh, Alex. Dennis with the uh, Associated Press covers the Jets. He joins us on the show every now and then. Got to try to get him on soon. He's a good guy. Um, Jets are averaging an NFL low 75.3 yards per game allowed, uh, 2.8 yards, 2.89 yards per carry. That's what the Jets' defense is allowing uh, up to this point. Also leading the league with 98 tackles for no gain or for loss. Uh, that includes kneel downs. The next closest team is Tampa Bay with 71. So the Jets have 27 more tackles for loss or no gain than the next closest team in the NFL. Um, and I'll tell you what, what, what this brings me to, and we'll probably touch uh, this might be a, a good topic for next week. I'll go over it briefly now. But, Alex, as bad as things are right now, 
when you look at the things the Jets can do, one of them being, of course, absolutely stuff the run, setting up plenty of third and longs. It's, it's the corner play hasn't been good. Enough. Obviously, it was a little bit better the, the previous with the three wins. Mallet, I think we saw get exposed for the first time this week. He got eaten up at his spot. But you look at it and go, okay, well, if we're gonna, you know, with the exception of McClendon, these these guys up front are guys gonna be gonna be around for a little while. You know, Fadakasi, Quinn and Williams, Henry Anderson, Phillips. These are guys who these are young guys who have years left. So there's no reason to believe they won't be able to stuff the run next year. You add a hopefully healthy C.J. Mosley and a hopefully healthy Avery Williamson if he's back, and you bring back Jamal Adams if he's back. The ifs are piling up here. But assuming, <laughs> assuming Mosley and Williams are, uh, Williamson are healthy, Jamal is back, Bless Austin. Let's say Bless Austin is playing a little over his head right now, and he's more of a number two than a number one. Cash, you can't rely on him. He was drafted with injury history. What does he do? He gets injured. You can't go into the year expecting anything more than a backup. You go into the season expecting Blake Cashman to start, and he, you know, his shoulder explodes again in week three. That that that's malpractice to allow that to happen. But really, if if we assume Bless Austin is a good two. Because right now he's playing like a one. I don't care what anybody says. Let's assume Bless Austin is a two. You got Jamal. You got May. You got a dominant run-stuffing D-line. You got you get Mosley back. You get Williamson back. Let's say, hypothetically, you re-sign Jenkins. Really, you're now two players away from being an elite defense. Because the only thing, you know, I say the only thing. It's a huge thing. But right now this team can't get off the field on third down, and a big part of it is that they don't have the corner play. And we saw that this week, the previous couple weeks. Mollett played well, and they absolutely dominated. If if you get Austin and you get him someone on the other side who's just even, you know, a decent corner, and then you have May and Adams, and that's your defensive backfield, that's some damn good players back there. Then you get Williamson, who is a borderline pro bowler in my eyes, next to a, a proven pro bowler in Mosley, Jenkins, and then whoever takes the spot opposite him. This defense could legitimately be two guys away from being elite. And that is something to build. And it, if they get to that level, well, that takes that much more pressure off Sam Darnold and the offense. And, and the hope, of course, this offseason is that that offensive line gets rebuilt. Alex... You've got three minutes. Any thoughts before we have to call this tonight? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take. I, I feel that there's not as much work that needs to be done on the defensive side, uh, just from a contract standpoint, a youth standpoint, um, all of the players that you've already mentioned, uh, the free agency class for the cornerback position. I've been keeping my eye on that, and there's a lot of talented guys between the ages of 24 to about 27 years old that are right within that prime window uh, that are going to be looking for, you know, ample contracts. So, you know, there's definitely one, two uh, free agent signings. Uh, maybe just one um, can can solidify this. And, and having guys like Daryl Roberts and, and possibly Tremaine Johnson as your backup guys, you know, that may have to come in in a pinch here or there, not the worst-case scenario. Um, you know, we haven't had strength or depth in, 
at the cornerback position in quite some time and, and, and one or two two additions uh, might be able to do that. And, and hopefully Joe Douglas is not like our former general managers where he negates the edge position entirely. So you find somebody that has a knack for getting after the quarterback and you can figure out how to be a little stingy on the outside with your defensive backs this defense should be able to to keep on, you know even some of the best offensive teams honest. So that that's definitely one bright note that we can kind of look at and and look toward the future. There is a future with this defense. You know a lot of it has to deal with Adams coming back. I feel uh, so as long as that happens, there's definitely some hope uh, defensively with this squad. So I definitely agree with you there. I don't think they're as far as people may think. And just figure out a way to protect Sam, get him a couple more weapons, and we might actually have a complete football team before we know it. Um, we don't have it today, clearly, but I don't think all hope is lost for you know actually having a decent football team moving forward. And that's the thing, you know. At this point, it's uh, you know, grasping at grasping at straws to find a few positives, and really to me that's a big one is that this team is doing some things some really good things on defense without an edge and without a second corner and with their two very you know again all pro and borderline all pro inside linebackers so they're close on defense on defense we'll go a little deeper into this next week thank you so much for tuning in jets fans uh you can follow alex on twitter at nyjetslife you can follow me at acefan23 Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next week. Take care, Jets fans. Thanks, Jet Nation. Good night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.